So this is Brian Rackett. I just love it. I'm not just going to be like, yes, so this week we're going to read this. Like, that's not, that's not what I do. This is Bread and Barricades, a Lamez podcast. I'm Nemo Martin, your moderator. And uh, I have just come to the realization that I'm going to have to read the entirety of Lamez for myself in the next month. And uh, I'm kind of dreading it, and not in the next month as well, in like the next two weeks. So that's my task for uh, early November. Um, so that's really fun and great, and it's only taken us two years to get a centimetre into the book. You use they, them pronouns? I do use they, them pronouns. Thank you, Stevie. And you're the host. <laughs> and I'm the host. I did say moderator. Okay. Yeah, cool. Uh, um, Grace, I use they, them pronouns too, and I am your primary researcher and i would say that we have only been reading three chapters every month or so so <laughs> that's probably why it's taking me this long to get this far through okay fair enough yeah i'll just read every, three chapters just, every uh, minute so. you'll do it you'll do it yeah, yeah. you just got to do it and then you'll do it yeah <laughs> that's done. how it works yeah and then it's done yeah this is Stevie, your secondary researcher. She had pronouns. Grace didn't say they them pronouns. They either. did. That's oh, not true. They? I did. Fight me. Just <laughs> me. Yeah. I'm your moderator now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <but> uh, <laughs> Stevie, secondary researcher. She had pronouns, and we're recording from my room again, which is a laundry room. Yay! Yay! I really like it. I thought it would muffle the outside sounds. Mm. And that's why I left my washing up for a week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's tactical. So uh, Mm. uh, I've just seen the the socks with the rising sun flag on it. The lucky cats? Yeah. The rising sun has become a, like, neo-Nazi symbol. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, because Japan is imperialistic and... Their equivalent of raising the Nazi flag, the swastika, is raising the rising sun flag. So, oh, sorry, everyone, that sucks for you. <laughs> I saw someone at the car booth sale we were at the other day who was wearing a bomber jacket with it on the back. And I think that she was white or white passing. It would, I, it would probably be worse if she was a white person, Japanese person, actually, to be honest. But... I'm gonna hope that she was white mm. and ignorant, but yeah, it was like bomber jacket with the rising sun flag on the mm-hmm. back, and I was like, oh, oh, that's not a good look right now. That's like going around with the swastika on your back. So, <laughs> um, and I wanted to tell her, but also like, I didn't want to interact with her. <laughs> so, yeah, that's valid. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want to potentially face violence. Yeah, like, I was like, on the off chance that you're not just a cool hipster mm. at a car boot sale, the more mm. you know. Talking of more, knowing more, <laughs> uh, where we finished last time, um, everything was going really well for everyone in <laughs> France, um, in general, uh, all of the French. Um, we finished, as I recall, with um, Madame. I did. I did the thing. I like. I didn't think about the fact that I was going to have to say lots of these words out loud. <laughs> um, Victor, yeah. 
Victor, yeah, I feel like we I struggled on this last yeah, time. I think that's yeah. What we yeah. But yeah, last time she uh, grasped on um, Fontaine and got lo- and Fontaine lost her job. Um, the chapter that we are beginning with is called Madame Victorien's success, and her success is knowing that Fontaine is miserable, which is oh. it's like cool, great, <laughs> cool, great, love that. And we start with um, talking about establishing the fact that because uh, Monsieur Madeleine is so moral and fantastic, um, he doesn't go to the women's factory on principle, um, which is why he has to delegate and, you know, has this very respectable woman um, as the supervisor and trust her entirely with looking after what was going on and that sort of thing. And it's because he's very moral and principled. So Fontaine tries to find work um, as a servant and that sort of thing, but can't get work from the servant as a servant and can't leave town because she owes all the money for all the furniture, which she mm-hmm. had before. And yeah, that's the, the, the second hand dealer who had supplied her furniture and such furniture had said to her, if you do, I'll have you arrested as a thief. Her landlord to whom she owed rent said, you're young and pretty, you can pay. And she splits the, um, the 50 francs that she gets as, severance pretty much between the two of them and is left of nothing and returns most of the furniture um i thought it was interesting having the if you do try and leave town i will have you arrested as a thief because mm. it ties back into the narrative that we have for mm. jean valjean as well like mm. um and sort of you we get start getting reminded of some of the sort of injustices that are surrounded surrounded by that and that sort of thing so she um starts doing she stitches shirts for soldiers and the woman the old woman who lives in the house which is um who is her land her landlord her landlady starts to teach her about how to live live in poverty basically Mm. starts to teach her um first how to live the the quote is um an old woman who lived in the house taught her in the art of living in penury There are two stages, living on little and living on nothing. They are like two rooms, the first dark, the second pitch black. And we sort of, you know, it talks about all of her her starting to sort of dispense with the small luxuries that she has enjoyed. I was just finding it really interesting that that is a phrase that I haven't seen used a lot in fandom, or like quoted a lot. Mm. It's quite like a, I don't know if it's astute, I don't know, like... But we always talk about Hugo being like kind of there in mm. politics. That's quite a like nice phrase, or it's not nice. Like mm. you know, it's a yeah. well put. Yeah, a well put or like a starting thinking point kind of thing. Mm. Where it's like, yeah, you can think a lot about things from just that one small thing. Yeah. Oh, the other yeah, that's what it was. Um, I think we're keeping a track of landladies, right? Oh yeah, you wanted. You mentioned at some point Javert had a lot of landladies. Yeah, and Jean Valjean also has landladies. I just wanted to keep track of them. I just mm-hmm. don't think it's. Just... Does she have a name? The landlady. Marguerite. Marguerite. Wait, have we already had a Marguerite? I feel like we have. I suppose it's quite a common French mm-hmm. name, isn't it? There's a Marguerite in uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Maybe <laughs> that <laughs> might be what it is. God damn! Um, it feels like was one of Fontaine's friends called Marguerite. No. No. Favorite, favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, and like we were like, no, <laughs> and we can prove not. it. Yeah. <laughs> we and have I've only got one receipts. Thing. Yeah, <laughs> and that is those names. Yeah, yeah. I really want to be like, so what are they? But we just don't have time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so um, we sort of get this image of her. Um, she learns to live without a fire in the winter. She had a small caged bird that. Um, well, there's no imagery there's there. no shut up yeah <laughs> there's nothing yeah it's how, how to give up the tame bird which eats a handful of seed a day um she turns petticoats into blankets and blank blankets into petticoats and and saves candles by eating by the light of the window across the street the rest of us have very little notion of the use that 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 a fragile being grown old and privation and honesty can make of a single sou it becomes a talent in the end, one that Fontaine acquired and with it a regrowth of courage. She talks about she reduces the amount that she will be able to sleep in order to be able to maximise the amount of work that um, that she can do and talks about because she will be grieving for her child um, when you are sad, you do not need to eat as much. Um, with that, I will be able to stay alive. It's really Dark. awful. <laughs> like, it's, it's, yeah, it's really awful. So I've been reading for my PhD, I've been reading a lot of books about police brutality and Black Lives Matter. There was one book called You Can't Kill Us All, The History of Black Lives Matter by Wesley Lowery, which is really interesting. He's a journalist and is one of the people who continually documents police brutality and started a list of um, police shootings on unarmed black people. and. He wrote in this book a lot of first-hand accounts that he had as a journalist talking to mothers of black kids who have been shot and killed. I mean, my PhD is slowly becoming a thing where I want to compare it to uh, modern-day riots and stuff. And obviously Ferguson is because of police brutality and like shooting the killing of black people and how the vocabulary of Les Mis is still very much in use today. And, uh, yeah, that, I can't remember, the, um, Fontaine saying... Starting from the beginning of it, uh, well, what I say is, if I only sleep five hours a night and work the rest of the time, I can just about earn enough to live on. And when you're unhappy, you eat less. So what with work and not much food on the one hand, and grieving on the other, I can keep alive. Yeah, it's very, like, wow, you think this is 19th century poverty, but still is so relevant like literally today and to the people who this still applies to there's an interesting thing about um marguerite um she's sufficiently educated to be able to sign her name and then there's a touch of um in air quotes her name is repeated but misspelt slightly Mm. and there's two t's and firm in her trust of god in god which is the root of wisdom um, there are many such virtuous souls in the depths who will one day rise higher. They are the lives which have a tomorrow. I think has a like an emptiness to it, if you know what I mean, because it it feel it's very it's very in in line with what he believes. Mm. But it's a sort of when we have had this description of the way that this woman lives, like it's the sort of thing where it's I don't know if it's if it's fair. It's the sort of thing of having very little and having to have faith that the next life will be better. 
Mm. You know what I mean? Like, That's still very much like even me in primary school. Mm. The like stories we would be told, uh, the like Christian ones, is like the character who lives so frugally and basically in poverty, but like her how her mansion in heaven versus the woman who had everything in life, but she's gonna have a shack in heaven. So like, even as a kid, you're like that. But that just but you've got to live a whole life. <laughs> To maybe get a mansion in heaven, thanks. That mm. that is very much, yeah. That was like, well, at least, but in heaven, then you'll see. And you're mm. like, but I have to live until then. Yeah, mm. it's interesting because when you said that, like my way of framing that would be through like, not because of personal experience, but Buddhism or reincarnation. Maybe just because mm. I've been thinking about it more than I do Christianity. Mm. Mm. So when you said like in the next life, my first thought wasn't like, oh yeah, if you like are this person in this life, then you get a mansion in heaven. It was the idea of like karma and like yeah. Sikhism, or yeah. like the the idea of like if you're a good person, you get good karma points, and then you mm. become a better, you get yeah. a better life next time, kind of thing. But I guess yeah. It's more extreme than that in the these are the lives that have a tomorrow in the way that like these are the lives that will have a tomorrow. The mm. others will not like or. But then also like that's the the point of the barricade boys dying and the idea mm. of like they don't die for themselves. They die for the next people to come along and to build the yeah. next to build the world. Yeah. So maybe it's like setting up for that but for religious language I'm not sure I don't know if that is backed up by the context of it mm. yeah I see what you mean yeah I think that works for yeah. the barricade boys but I don't think it works mm. if yeah. this feels very Christianity at the time mm. like mm. consolations yeah who Hugo was writing for which was a largely white mm. Christian yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> bullshittery Yes. I like your one better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely feels like it. It's definitely right for parts of the like. Definitely right for parts of the book. Like it mm -hmm. is like, oh god, the phrase that came into came into my mind is f f for our tomorrow they gave there today, which like yeah. means a very different thing. But like, or well, I suppose not, but has lots of associations with mm -hmm. it. But it's building the future for sacrificing what is like where you are at the minute. But don't think that is what that is it's mm. like keep going through your suffering for the problem promise yeah. of heaven yeah like yeah. um there's this interesting passage about um that sort of detail the change in fontine's demeanor because we all we always sort of had the her demeanor has always been very sort of demure and like she's always been very modest and that sort of thing um, she starts off when she becomes very, very poor. Um, she's so overcome by the shame of her position and the, her presentation and that sort of thing that she um, can't leave the house. Um, she sort of feels the gaze of everybody on her when she leaves the house. Um, and it, it's this ostracism pierced her like a keen wind, body and soul. Uh, in a small town, the fallen woman is, as it were, exposed, naked to the scorn and prying eyes of all comers. Um, it talks about how she, if she went to Paris, she would be anonymous and there would be a comfort in that. But mm. in this town, everyone knows her and everyone knows her, um, the way she's fallen. But after two or three months of living this way, she 
shrugs off of her shame and and moves about um pretending not to care about her situation mm. um she came and went with her head held high and a bitter smile on her lips and felt that she was becoming brazen which is a very interesting change mm. from what i like it's i don't know the way the like framing of that especially when it's fontaine who has always been introduced as here is this woman who is perfect, like everything mm. that you should want a woman to be. Mm. Um, and then describing her as brazen because of something which is not entirely not her fault. But then it does say she thought, I mean, obviously this isn't the French, so like yeah. translation, yeah. but yeah, yeah, she much. thought of herself as brazen. What, what was it? She, in a way, she that... felt that she was becoming brazen yeah. and felt that she was becoming brazen. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's more like. Yeah, I mean, if it was like she became she brazen, became brazen. Yeah. whereas yeah. this is like, also like kind of not a reclamation of the word brazen, but in a I'm going to do this, you fuckers, kind of thing. Yeah, either that or like a deeper sort of shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I have to, I have to be this way in order to live, mm. carrying carrying the shame associated with that has been. Um, socialized into her mm-hmm. that society is has put upon her yeah um ah this was really upsetting <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh, Magda- madame victorinier uh, seeing her pass beneath the window and noting the wretched condition of the creature who had thanks to her public spirit had been put in her place that like i've just re- really noticed in the last couple of things how bad the like grammar <laughs> is like, there's just not commas where there should be commas. Like, I've been putting in spaces where there should be commas. Mm. They're not there. <laughs> like, at the translator. At translator, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, uh, thanks to her public spirit, had been put in her place and was highly gratified. The cruel of heart have their own black happiness. Um, excess of work exhausted Fontaine, and the small dry cough from which she suffered grew worse. She said sometimes to Marguerite, feel how hot my hands are. But in the mornings, combing with a broken comb the hair that flowed like silk over her shoulders, she still had moments of happy vanity. For now. <laughs> <laughs> the rumble of uh, foreshadowing. That. Yep. We yep. can't have that. Nope. Chapter what? Chap- that 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 chapter is done. The continued success of Madame Victoria oh, <laughs> is the name of this. Uh, the next chapter, which I fucking love, Fontaine had been dismissed at the end of winter because if we remember she was sewing shirts for the um, the soldiers mm. she survived the summer but then came the winter shorter days and shorter working hours and we get this very strong image of winter of the sort of the darkness the coldness um, if you remember she was eating her she was eating her dinner by the light from the window and mm. it like it's it's literalizes the the two rooms which first of which are dark and then the second pitch black mm. um the sky had become a grating, the day a cellar, the sun a poor man at the door, which I just thought was a good, a nice image. Um, her creditors, the people who she owes money, start harassing her about the debts that she has, which are considerable, um, and grow more. If we remember before, um, the Thenardiers has start extorting oh, yeah. more and more money out of her as they realise that she will keep paying it. Um, they write saying that um, Cosette it has to go almost naked in the snow and that they need 10 francs to be able to buy her a woolen dress. Um, 
and Fantine is devastated and carries the letter like clenched in her fist for the for the entire day and at the at the end of her working day goes to the barber and um, lets her hair fall down to her waist and asks the barber what um, what the barber will give her for her for the the um, hair and she gets the ten francs that she needs but she buys a woolen dress rather than sending the Tenardiers the money. Mm-hmm. The Tenardiers are, for, are furious because what they actually wanted was the money and they give the dress to Eponine and leave Cosette shivering. My daughter's not cold anymore, thought Fontaine. I have dressed her in my hair. She wore small mob caps to hide her shorn hair and it still looked pretty. But it sort of, we get this description of uh, like a further change sort of happening within her, like a sort of a darkness growing, but she sort of protected herself with having this thing that she thought of as very beautiful about herself. Now that she can't like present herself in that way that she still had control over, she feels it's, uh, she conceived a hatred for all mankind. Um, she had long shared the universal veneration of Père Madeleine, but now, by dint of telling herself that he had dismissed her and was the cause of all of her troubles, he came to she came to hate him more than any other man. And she starts um, when she walks past the factory gates in the mornings. She sort of like sings derisive songs and like and, and does she spit? No, she laughs um, derisively. She takes a lover. He's indolent and feckless and abuses her and finally leaves her. But as she sinks into the depths of, of, of darkness, she holds a dream very bright that, yeah, <laughs> but, um, that one day she will be very wealthy and has, and have Cosette with her. And like the deeper into darkness she sinks, she, she sinks, the more sort of like bright this, this dream feels. That's interesting. It's almost as if her dream centers her child and not the man that ran away. <laughs> but still I dream she'll come to me yeah yes yeah, like it there's no she's not thinking about Tolomez at all yeah. there's a mention of him a little bit later on but not in this mm-hmm. not in this context yeah the cough does not get get better and she has night sweats but she gets a letter from the Tenardiers saying that Cosette has caught a um disease called miliary fever and she will be dead within the week if they cannot get 40 francs from her to um, get medicine for Cosette. And Fontaine sort of breaks into just like hysterical laughter. Ah, um, oh, how wonderful. A mere 40 francs. Two Napoleons. Where do they expect me to get them? Are they mad? And she sort of runs out into the street and someone asks her why, like, what is so funny. And a silly joke and a letter I've just had from some country people. They want four, 40 francs from me, the poor, ignorant peasants. And she, as she's sort of walking about in the streets, um, there's a crowd gathered around a strangely shaped vehicle from which a man in clad in red was addressing them. Um, it's Santa Claus. It's Father Christmas. <laughs> oh, it is. Yeah. Huh? It is. No. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, he's a dentist. Um, so right. sets of sets of false teeth. Um, as as she's laughing at his uh, oratory. He notices he notices her teeth and and says that if um, she will sell her two inci- her two incisors, um, he'll pay a gold Napoleon for each of them. Um, it's quite an interesting moment where um, he says, "Yeah, for your two incisors." She says, "What are my incisors? Um, your two front teeth, which I, it's like a small thing, but it's 
I thought that was quite a nice, a nice touch. Um, she runs away um, because this is an awful thing to ask of someone. Mm. Um, think of it, my girl. Think of, think it over, my girl. Two Napoleons are worth having. If you change your mind, you'll find me this evening at the Tilac d'Argent. She runs away to Marguerite, who, like throughout this, she's been sort of talking to Marguerite about the things that have been happening, and not in sort of a, a great way, but it's she is the person that she comes back to constantly throughout as all of this sort of spirals back down. Would you believe it? The abominable man. Um, how can they allow such creatures to travel around the country? He wants to pull my two front teeth out. I should be hideous. Hair grows again, but not teeth. Oh, the monster. I'd sooner throw myself out a top-story window. How much did he say he'd pay? Two Napoleons. And it's just this very interesting exchange of, like, ah, oh, that's 40 francs. Yes, said Fantine, that's 40, franc 40 francs. Um, she sort of goes on for a bit and sort of thinks, um, what is this miliary fever? Have you heard of it? Yes, said the old woman. It's an illness. Does it need a lot of medicine? Yes, very strong medicine. How do you get it? It's just an illness that you catch. And children catch it? Especially children. Do they die of it? Very often. And it's just like, without needing to say, and that Anne Fontaine has made a decision and had the yeah. thought process about this, but it's just like short, snappy mm. dialogue showing exactly what sh she will do yeah. in a way which I think is quite clever and it sort of, yes. Um, Fontaine goes, uh, leaves the room and goes on the landing to read the letter again. Um, and the sort of that evening ends there as it were but uh, Marguerite enters Fontaine's room the next morning um, I'm probably just going to read this through because it's it's very powerful um, when Marguerite entered Fontaine's room the next morning doing so before daybreak because they had always worked together and thus could share a candle she found her seated cold and shivering on her bed she had not been to bed she was sitting with her bonnet on her knees and the candle, which had been burning all night, was almost burned away. Standing horror-stricken in the, in the doorway, Marguerite cried, Heavens, you've used up a whole candle. What has happened? Fontaine turned her cropped head towards her and it seemed that she had aged ten years overnight. Lord, preserve us, cried Marguerite. What is the matter with you? Nothing is the matter with me, said Fontaine. I am happy. My baby will not die of that dreadful disease for lack of medicine. She pointed to two Napoleons that lay gleaming on the table. A fortune, murmured Marguerite. A fortune. Where did you get them? I earned them, said Fantine. She smiled as she said it, and the candle lighted her face. It was a blood-stained smile. There were flecks of blood at the corners of her mouth and a wide gap between her upper lip. She sent them forty francs to Montfermeil. Needless to say, the Thenardiers were lying. Cosette was not ill. Yeah. Very upsetting. Fontaine throws her mirror away. Very economical. She could have sold it. Could have sold the mirror. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, Jesus. Try harder, Fontaine. Um, she has, she's moved from the like the second bedroom in this house to the attic. And she doesn't have a, 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 mattre a bed, but just a mattress on the floor. Um, the roof of the attic is, is sloping, and they, she always bangs her head against the against the beams of it. There's this uh, nice quote of um, 
Paupers cannot reach the end of their abode, or of their destiny, except by crouching even lower. Which is... sort of leads into the things which will be following, following on and that sort of thing. Um, we get the description of, you know, the the water in which she keeps in a butter tub is always frozen in the winter and the sort of the this imagery of um like the there being sort of rings at where it's frozen at different levels and that's sort of how that's the that's the marker of time. Um she wears soiled bonnets in the street and she doesn't fix her stockings so there are sort of like wrinkles around around her ankles. Um she cries herself to sleep every night um and always has pain in in her back and coughing. Profoundly hating Père Madeleine, she uttered no complaint against him. She stitched 17 hours a day, but a contractor for a prison for prison labour, who was able to get work done more cheaply, and brought the free workers' da daily wage down to nine sous. Um, the, her creditors are, are hounding her, and yeah, they've taken back pretty much all of her furniture and never stopped badgering her for money. In God's name, what more was she to do? Feeling hunted, she developed some, some more of the instincts of a wild beast. And then Tenardier wrote to say his patience was at an end, and that if she did not send a hundred francs forthwith, she would be obliged to turn Cosette out into the street, still convalescent after her grave illness, to fend for herself amid the rigours of the season, to live as to die, as the case may be. A hundred francs. In what calling was it possible to earn a hundred sous in a day? There was only one. Well, thought Frantine, I may as well sell the rest. She became a prostitute. It's sort of difficult to do literary analysis on lots of this because it is so dark and yeah. upsetting. Yeah. If there are at any points that we want to pause either to go back over what has mm. happened or just to pause and be like, huh, I need to like just take a take a sec okay to continue mm. what is the true story of fontine it is the story of society's purchase of a slave a slave purchased from poverty hunger cold loneliness defenselessness destitution a squat a squat squalid bargain a human soul for a hunk of bread poverty offers and society accepts there's lots of stuff in this chapter which talks about sex workers in a way that is uncomfortable or might have been more accurate at the time but doesn't necessarily reflect things mm. now and like I'm not necessarily sure of the best way to talk through things so I'm very happy to follow other people's lead on that. Mm -hmm. We say that slavery has vanished from European civilization but this is not true uh, slavery still exists, but now it applies only to women, and its name is prostitution. So it's very like, like. So I've been reading this book called Beyond the Pale by Ron Ware, mm. which is about white women and racism. Yeah, and it's really interesting. I would recommend it as a book. Um, the only thing I have against it, which my friend who gave me the book um, brought up, was the fact that uh, at no point does Ron Ware, the author say that she is a white woman she makes like you know references to she says she's a woman but she never says the phrase i am a white woman mm. which is kind of weird and interesting it was just something interesting to know um but it is about how um 
female empowerment, feminist movements have always come from black abolition groups and black power groups. And when there has been emancipation or abolishment of slavery or um, segregation, uh, white women often ride that. And then mm. once they feel like the issue is over, they then take that movement and then make it about white womenhood. And so you often get, you know, civil rights movements created by black people, followed very quickly by white women taking that power and using it for their own vocabulary. Mm. And so there was a period after, no, during the abolition, this is specifically about uh, in Britain, but it did have references to America because Britain and America were very closely related. It was less about France, but when black people were you know, asking for the abolition of slavery, um, or demanding it, uh, that white women started using the vocabulary of slavery in their own writing. Mm. And so they fought for abolition and they did work in, you know, promoting abolition in the UK in order to make America do it or to help make America do it or to like, you know, make sure that people weren't just reading accounts of slavery from white America but then when they wanted to start their own movements about feminism they started saying things like oh slavery doesn't exist anymore apart from for white women yeah there were certain women I can't remember their names who during the abolition process and actually um, during the colonization of India obviously that was also a big thing where white women uh, played a big role where white women would use Indian women's rights to say that white women deserved more rights and to be like, oh, you know, there's equality between slaves slash Indian men and women, which means that me, a white woman, deserves more rights. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that language of the like, oh, there's we, there's no more slavery in Europe, and it's like apart from for white women, and it's like okay, you go, <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> it's so like reading it is so um, you're so close, yeah. and then you just fucking lost it, like yeah, you completely yeah. did. You know, in the first half, yeah. yeah, like you're making a good point, but like you don't have to like use the vocabulary of another people's struggle in yeah. order to legitimize your own, like <laughs> especially like black power movements and stuff, because it was about like fighting white women. Like white women were a big part of colonial power. Mm. So there's the, the, the idea, and I think I talked about it in the BBC episode as a glancing reference of like black male like violence mm-hmm. and white women being the victim of that violence. And like the like the people who made that myth up specifically do say, Yeah, we made it up and like it's become the foundation of American culture and British culture where, you know, black men are seen as bestial and are more likely to rape white women and white women played into this because if they did have illicit in scare quotes relationships with black men it was easier for them to scapegoat by saying i was sexually assaulted than by ruining their image in their small communities and so the rise of lynching and like justice being taken without law Mm. specifically because white women didn't play their role in 
healthy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was um, read something interesting as well, which I hadn't known a lot about as well, with um, the way a lot of the way that sort of black people were um, portrayed in, especially in advertisement and that sort of thing when things moved from the idea of black people being more like help and that sort of thing when it stopped being portrayed more as like in scare quotes you know the like black mammy and that sort of thing who will be like raising your child Mm. um the way that black people were portrayed in media very quickly moved from someone who was incapable of violence who like couldn't be anything other than nurturing and loving towards your family and that was therefore like the role they should be in turned very quickly to the more violent way in a different way to be able to control and oppress black people like and tying into all of that like Mm -hmm. that was on that post about like the uncle yeah uncle Uncle ben and auntie bessie and all that kind of stuff yeah most of my time on this podcast is me like (laughs) where is this one tumble post that i referenced i know i saw it in 2015 years ago yeah oh my god (laughs) yeah it talks about there being nothing left of the girl that was once um Fontaine, in becoming dirt, she has turned to stone. To touch her is to feel chill. She submits to and ignores the customer. She is the unmoving countenance of the dishonoured. Yeah, she, you know, she has known everything, born and suffered everything, lost everything, and shed her last tear. She is resigned to the re- with the resignation that resembles indifference, as death resembles sleep. She no longer seeks to escape from anything, nor does she fear anything. Let the heavens fall, let the hot tides of the sea engulf her. What can it matter? She has had her fill. Or so she believes. But it is an error to suppose we can ever exhaust fate or reach the end of anything. <laughs> <laughs> what is it? Fate and... Fate versus pre God! God's yeah. plan! Uh... Basically, yes. Yeah. And actually the language is similar to that one chapter that talks about that as well like the yeah. idea of the seas engulfing and um like let the heavens fall is very mm. similar to that one really fucking random metaphorical chapter that was that talked about that mm. let the heavens fall is a fucking great line yeah it's a really like, good line. Yeah, yeah, it's really really good oh the one about satan hades town no no that's not uh, that's older satan Mephistopheles bullshit. Faust? The no, Faust one? Older. Not Dante's Inferno, the other one you do in first year. Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even know if this is real. Does anything else happen in it other than having Satan in it? It's like all about Satan leaving. Sorry. Oh, Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I found like a life from Paradise Lost. Jesus mm. Christ, my brain there. Let the heavens yeah. fall. Gonna write it down. Steal mm-hmm. it. In the <laughs> but bear in mind the context of it it's not like a... yeah but like i'll just forget that yeah it's it's not something that she sees that is empowering in that moment like it is out of context a very like let, let yeah. it sounds like something at the end of like it's at the end of i dreamed a dream yeah and then yeah. she's just like so let the heavens fall oh. uh, let the tides of the sea rise up <laughs> yeah when very we rewrite much. this whole fucking thing fucking let's do yeah. it yeah. like it was so fucking good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um 
yeah, it asks like, what is, like, what is the riddle of the way that all of these things tie in together? Like, how can they be bound together? He is who knows the answer to all these known things. He is alone. His name is God. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This yeah. song writes itself. It yeah. really does. Really fucking. It's already great. written. I mean. Yeah. 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 That is. That is where that fucking that goes, and then we come into some. <laughs> then we come. Haha! <laughs> a sex joke. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. We 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 come into some some bullshit next time. Was that the final line of the chapter? Mm-hmm. That's a God. pretty good last line of a chapter, and I'm gonna give Hugo that one for free. <laughs> <laughs> because we well, actually, we put up with a lot of shit to lead up to that, so mm-hmm. on mm. balance, that didn't bring it back enough from the, like, <laughs> the only slave Because <laughs> we solved that. It reminds me of that um, community, mm. when the white woman is talking to the black woman, and she's like, I can excuse racism, but yeah, I can't <laughs> <laughs> You can excuse racism? <laughs> I thought, oh, where was I the other day? Somebody literally said that the other day, and I was like, Not as they were quoting community. Yeah, no, they were like, and it was—it wasn't like they said I can excuse racism, but they were—we were talking about something, and they were like, "Well, I can excuse that, but like as a vegetarian," and I was like. Oh God! That's the fucking energy of like. As a mother, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're like, that's not how that works. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, Jesus. It's, no, it's like, all it makes me think of is like all the bullshit that you see about like the movement of veganism. Like, there are mm. lots of like useful things tied into veganism, but so many, but like the language is very much what you were saying before about like appropriating the language of like someone else's yeah. struggle for like ways that are just. I saw one of comparing like farms to concentration camps and I was like that's not what's wrong with you <laughs> like what like you shouldn't have to make those kind of comparisons to have a valid point yeah. you lost your point there like yeah. have language which is to do with the terrible things that are happening rather than yeah. co-opting someone mm. else's like history and suffering and the like massive oppression that still affects yeah. the people's affected by it mm. today and it's like because these conversations are like useful to have so tell me if i've told this before but um the idea of like japanese internment camps in america Mm. they had huge like conferences where people were like are we allowed to say concentration camp for the specifically japanese camps and there was this whole like debate where some jewish people said well it's not like japanese people were killed or like put into gas chambers and it was like okay but also the restriction of freedom and specifically it was unlawful for people not to go into these camps Mm -hmm. and so they had these huge conversations where it was like what is the correct language for us to use about these camps and um it was specifically only a couple of years ago as well so like similar time that were happening it's only taken us till 2019, 2018, 2019 mm. to have these conversations and it was brought up again with the uh, Mexican border camps mm, yeah. and whether what to call them and I think the language is concentration camp mm. and so it's like valid to have these conversations 
but not that. Not <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Also, mm-hmm. they had those conversations, which means that they, people were sitting down and really thinking right, about exactly. what it, yeah. if I use this word, which is kind of it, when it's used in like the vegetarian thing you were saying. Mm-hmm. Is the, you're using it as a shorthand to try and invoke the feeling the of what yeah. saying concentration yeah. camp does. And mm. so they're having those conversations to be like, is that what we want to do? Are we going mm. to be cheapening this word? So, mm. Or like, is this appropriate? So it's very good that they had those conversations. You can't just use it! <laughs> yeah. But also like the people from what you're saying, I don't know very much about the context of how these conversations started happening and that, but from what you were saying, they were talking to like... Yeah, it was like people Japanese who were experiencing people, the legacy like, of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it wasn't like a bunch of white people yeah. Like, yeah. chaining themselves together, going, "Yes, it's like slavery." Yeah. Like, it's it, it's completely different. Yeah. Like yeah. it's two groups of people affected by the legacy of things that have happened, having conversations about how they can both be respectful of the suffering that they yeah. have each. Yeah. Yikes. Wow. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Also, like talking, this is a thought that brought me back to this again because of the vegan thing. And you said earlier that Fontaine had like a butter tub in her yeah. room with water in it. Mm-hmm. And it just made me think of the Flora thing because Flora just became vegan and also have just cancelled their sponsorship with Mumsnet uh-huh. yeah, specifically because about of that. transphobia. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And so they were like, that. yeah, Mumsnet. Well, they didn't specifically say fuck Mumsnet, <laughs> but the, the ethos Pretty is much fuck, fuck yeah. Mumsnet yeah. because of transphobia. And they've become specifically vegan as well. So it's like, that's okay. That's good. Good job, Flora. <laughs> There's a way to do it and a way not to do yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, Mumsnet. Our show <laughs> got um, put on Mumsnet as, uh, like, go to the box office and complain really loudly and talk oh, about man. your children. And, cause, so they've put together... Um, a list of theatres that have gender-neutral toilets because of all the stuff of the old Vic um, mm-hmm. having gender-neutral toilets now. And, yeah, they've basically concocted a plan, which is they go to the box office and specifically demand for female toilets and say, point me to your female toilets and we'll continue to do so until someone touches them. And as soon as someone touches them, mm. we'll call for the police. Yeah, that's really fun, cool. Not militaristic at all. Yeah. And uh, really a good thing to do on your day out. <laughs> Today on White Women Are Our Allies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, fun. And the moral of today's chapter is fuck white women. Yeah. Sorry, Stevie. <laughs> no, 100%. <laughs> but, like, yeah, there are also things that, like, I super tie into mm. in that as well, even though, like, because of the way that the privileges that I benefit from and stuff. That, so, like, I, I'll, I am not a white woman, but, like, there's a lot that I tie into there as well. So, like... So, fuck you both. Yeah, first of all. <laughs> this has been Bread and Barry. <laughs> <laughs> fuck my other hosts. <laughs> Uh, this has been a Captain's Collection podcast <laughs> produced by me, Newman Martin and Julian. Yeah. Uh, our audio direction is by Jade Liam Chesskill. You can find her on at JD Wasabi. Uh, you can find us at Lamers Podcast on Twitter. You can send us an email, lesmifpodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Tumblr at Bread and Barricades. I got through a lot of it. Smashed it. Comments, quibbles. If you have. Okay. <laughs> There's not time now. If you have any spare dollar <laughs> thing about 
if you can donate to our Kofi, that'd be really great. Even a couple of quid would really help us. We pay for all of this podcast out of pocket, and it would be nice to break even one day. <laughs> <laughs> Support your queer artists. Yeah, yeah, white women. <laughs> um, I think they'll fucking live it. I've suddenly become very paranoid that we've already done this chapter, but I don't no. think we have, have we? Okay, thank you. I just need it. I was like, oh no, they're all thinking we've already done this chapter and they're waiting for a good point to interrupt me. I'm just <laughs> going to make that point now. <laughs> <laughs>